Well, good morning, everybody. Sorry to interrupt your conversations. Uh, we used to draw our Bible, draw our swords in my, in my youth group, so you don't have to be over 70 to have done that. Uh, shall we pray as we come to read from God's word? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a good God, that you are the creator God, worthy of our worship and our praise. And Lord, I pray you would speak to us through your word in Genesis chapter one this morning, Lord. May our hearts be moved to worship you more and more. May we love you more as a consequence of this time. And would you grow our faith in your power and your goodness? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as uh, Jeff has mentioned, uh, today we start a brand new sermon series looking at the first three chapters of Genesis uh, 1, 2 and 3. These are famous chapters in the Bible. They are chapters that prompt questions, not just from Christians, but from non-Christians as well. Some of you are probably sitting there thinking Duncan's finally going to answer the scientific question that I've had for many years this morning. These verses are often stumbling blocks to non-Christians, aren't they? Have you ever had a conversation where someone says, well, go, go, read, Gen- go read Genesis 1 or Genesis 3. How could I possibly be a Christian? The earth's billions of years old. And yet, what, look what it says in Genesis 1. Look what it says. In Genesis 3, there's a talking serpent. How can you possibly believe that? Have you ever had a conversation like that? Some of my non-Christian friends speak to me a bit like that. So these, are, these chapters are stumbling blocks to non-Christians. But I believe that these chapters are full of vital life-transforming, worship-inspiring, real-life-applying truth. And I'm really excited to preach these chapters to you over the next three weeks. And I'm not going to answer all your questions. I'll say that right now. I'm not going to answer all your questions. But I'm going to do my best to let God speak through his word, to let the words in the Bible speak to us and transform us and cause us to worship God. So let's dive straight in. And I'm going to read to you, um, if you've got a Bible, turn to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, and let me begin to read to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I'm going to stop there. We've got a long way through. I reckon I could probably preach a series of sermons just on that one verse, actually, from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. But I want to stop there. Atheists have faith in the Big Bang Theory, that all matter in this universe came into existence at the same time, 13.8 billion years ago is normally the date that they give, and it came into existence all at one time in a very dense ball called the singularity. Then suddenly the singularity began expanding creating the spectacular array of planets and galaxies in our universe. Completely at random, our planet was able to sustain life. The beautiful scenery that we enjoy on this earth, the sunrises, the forests, the jungles, the mountains and the valleys, the vast and awesome animal kingdom here on earth were created by chance. Random mutations through the process of evolution. The intelligence of humanity and the love and the hope and the joy and the morality which we know has no real meaning or purpose other than being random inventions of human culture and of the process of evolution. That's what atheists have to believe. 
that the place that we exist is just a series of random coincidences. And that is why we're here. They have faith in that understanding of our universe. But we believe God created the heavens and the earth. Perhaps through a big bang. But all those things that I've just described to you came from God. That's what it says in the first verse, isn't it? God created the heavens and the earth. He put beauty and awe, joy and love into this world with a purpose and a meaning. You have to choose between one of those two worldviews. You have to choose whether we're atheists and there is no God and everything's just chance. Or there is truly a creator God who put those awesome and amazing things into our existence. If you're in that place of battling with that question, I'd love to have a coffee and a conversation with you. You know, I'm quite happy to stay, stay here after church for hours and hours and just one by one have those conversations with you. I'd love to listen to you. I'd love to share with you what the Bible says. Or we can arrange a time not after church on a Sunday to go and chat through these questions. Here at Christchurch Fairham, And in churches around the world, we believe Genesis 1, verse 1, that God created the heavens and the earth. And we know that that's a simple truth. It's the sort of thing that you can teach, that we teach to our youngest children in this church. God is the creator. I'm sure when you were young, you probably went to a Sunday school. If If you grew up in a Christian family, you probably went to a Sunday school where you were taught that truth. And I'm sure our kids have had sessions where the main point of the session has been to teach them that God created the heavens and the earth. It's a simple truth, but it is a powerful and life transforming truth. In Acts 17, When Paul is in Athens and he's preaching to supposedly the wisest and most intelligent people in all the world in Athens. They were great thinkers. That's what they thought of themselves in Athens. He says to the people in Athens, you worship unknown gods. I've seen I've seen something in your city that says to an unknown God, you don't know God, but I'm going to preach to you. I'm going to proclaim to you what you worship as unknown because I know God. And this is how he begins. This is the very first thing Paul says to the Athenians about God. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He takes Genesis 1 verse 1, this first verse of the Bible, and he extrapolates from that verse and teaches the Athenians some really important things. Firstly, he says God is the one who gives us life and breath. So he isn't a needy God. He doesn't need you to serve him because he's the one giving you everything that you have already. We don't worship a needy God. We we worship a generous giving God. He teaches them that worship does not need to be confined to a temple, to a specific building, because God made everything and we worship him in spirit and in truth. Therefore, we don't need to go to the temple to worship him. We can worship him in every place. But where I want to focus this morning on this verse is what is what Paul says when he says this. Because God created, he is Lord. He made heaven and earth and therefore he's, he, he, he is Lord. Do you know that this morning? Our God owns the universe. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is the master of it all. 
It's his prerogative to do with the universe what he wants. It's his right as God, as creator, as Lord, to instruct us in how we ought to live. He is creator, he created it all, and therefore he is Lord. In Genesis 1 verse 1, God is transcendent. He is wholly other from everything else in creation. We are created, but he is creator. And so that's, that's actually what the word holy means. The word holy means set apart. And so God is holy, holy, holy. And one of the ways in which he is set apart is that he is the uncreated one. He is the creator and everything else is created. That gives him unrivaled authority and power. Unrivaled authority and power. In Genesis 3, we will get there in, in two weeks' time. In Genesis chapter 3, one of the great temptations of sin is to want to be like God. To be Lord of our own lives. To decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. That's the temptation that Adam and Eve give into in chapter 3. They want to be like God and decide for themselves what's right and what's wrong. But Genesis 1 verse 1 teaches us that that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. He's the creator. He made it all. He is Lord of heaven and earth. How can we even imagine or or seek to step into that role and say, I'm going to be God today. I'm going to decide what's right. Forget the Lord. Forget the creator of it all. I will be my own God. The very first thing we, we learn in the Bible is that God is creator And therefore he is supremely over and above creation. We ought always to remember his supremacy. When we make decisions, when we try and work out what's good and what's not good, when we decide what to do with our day, we need to remember that God is the creator, the Lord of heaven and earth. Let's keep going through the rest of the chapter. Nice gentle start to the sermon series in Genesis. Let's keep going. Um, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. 
And God said, let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was very good, was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of um, and have some dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And behold, uh, and God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. When we read Genesis chapter 1, we want God's word to answer our questions. We're tempted to say, I want to read that and I want God to tell me whether the earth is billions of years old or, six, or was created in six days. We want to ask questions like, what about evolution? How does this passage fit in evolution? We want to ask questions like, how are there evenings and mornings when the sun was only created on day four? How does that work? We've got questions and we want the text to answer our questions. And those are good questions. I'm not afraid of those questions. We're not afraid of those kind of questions in this church. We'd love to discuss them with you. But it's super important when we come to God's word that we let God's word speak and let God create the questions that we ought to be asking. So we, when, we try, when we read the Bible, we, we say, God, what are you saying? What are you trying to communicate? Rather than what do I want you to say in your word, Lord God? And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to focus on what does God teach us and, and speak to us through this chapter without shying away from the questions. I want God's word to speak this morning. And so we're going to focus on God's work in Genesis 1. What does God do in Genesis chapter 1? We're going to look at the verbs of Genesis chapter 1 this morning and let that direct our time in the word. 
there are some important issues that I'm going to leave for next week. So next week I'm going to talk about what it means to be created in the image of God. But we're going to focus now just on what God does in this chapter. So the first thing that God does in Genesis chapter 1 is he creates and he makes. God creates in verse 1, in verse 21 and verse 27. He creates the heavens and the earth in verse 1. He creates the great sea creatures in verse 21. And then he creates man and woman in verse 27. And the word create is is used three times in verse 27 when it speaks of this moment of creating man and woman. Now the Hebrew word for create is the word bara. You're meant to roll your R's, but I can't do that. So bara, roll the R. Only God in the Bible ever baras. Only God ever creates. This word is only used of God, for he alone is able to create in the way that God creates. Now, God makes in the Bible. He, he makes the sea and the sky in verse 7. He makes the sun and the moon in verse 16. He makes the beasts of the earth in verse 29. And he makes man in verse 26. So God does make, and sometimes the Hebrew word for make, which is a sar, is sometimes used of human beings. I can make things. I'm saying this even though it's not really true. I can take some wood and make a table. I've never done that in my entire life. But I could technically take some wood and turn it into a table. I can make stuff. But I can never create anything the way God creates. Only God can create. The theological word to describe God's creative power that's unique to him is ex nihilo. God creates ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. God is able to create out of nothing. He didn't take a singularity. He didn't take a a ball of mass and go, right, I'll take that and create the world. No, God just was. And God spoke and it was as he said it ought to be. He is the only one who can barah. He is the only one who can create. And so immediately, as soon as we see that word create, if we we could read Hebrew and we're reading in Hebrew, as soon as we saw the word create, we'd go, wow, he is so other to us. He's able to do something that no one else and nothing else can do. He is God the creator and so we're moved to marvel at him his otherness his holiness his unique power to create that's the first thing God creates and God makes the second verb the most common verb in all of Genesis 1 is said God speaks in verse 3 6 9 11 14 20 24 26 28 and 29 God speaks in Genesis chapter 1. God brings things into being by the power of his word. Now did you notice when God speaks in Genesis 1, creation always obeys. When God says let there be light, there isn't a moment where light goes, I don't fancy it God, no thanks, I'm going to say no, let's just stay in the darkness. No, God speaks, let there be light and there is light. Just reflect on that just for a moment. When God speaks, creation obeys. God's words never fail. They never fail in Genesis chapter 1, but God's words never fail. They always accomplish their purposes, just like they did in Genesis 1. Every word that God speaks in this chapter accomplishes its purpose in God's mind. Know that the promises of the Bible will never ever fail because this is God's word and his words never fail. 
Consider also the obedience of creation. God speaks, creation obeys. And everything is good. When creation obeys God, everything is good. And should not, should not we be provoked by that, to be like creation and say, actually, when God speaks, I want to obey. Do you remember Tim last week was talking about what um, Jesus' mother Mary said to the servants at the wedding? Whatever he says, do. What, do whatever he tells you. That was, the, that was the command that Mary said to the servants. And they did what Jesus said and water was turned into wine and they had an amazing party. And Tim said, how different would our lives look? How wonderful would our lives be if we just always did what Jesus said? If we always obeyed the words of God, just like creation does in Genesis chapter 1. It's amazing that God speaks and creation comes into being. And so again, the power of God's voice in Genesis 1 should move us to worship him, should move us to praise him, should move us to have confidence in his promises and should be a provocation to us to always obey his words. So God creates and makes, he speaks, God also separates, forms and fills. In verse 4, God separates the light from the dark and the day from the night. In verse 7, he separates the sea from the sky, the waters above and the waters below. In verse 14 and verse 18, he creates the sun and the moon to separate the day and the night. Now, did you notice a relationship between days one to three and days four to six? In days one to three, God is forming and in days four to six, God is filling. So on day one, God forms the light and the dark. On day four, he fills the light with the sun and he fills the dark with the moon and the stars. On day two, he forms the sky and the sea. And on day five, he fills the sky with birds and he fills the sea with living creatures. He uses that word teeming to describe the sea creatures. I love that. I mean, sometimes I watch Blue Planet, like David Attenborough things, and I look at the amazing sea creatures. I think they're awesome. But actually, I think our seas teeming with the life that God anticipated in Genesis chapter one. On day three, God forms the dry land and on day six, God fills the dry land with animals and with human beings. So God separates in this chapter. He's a God of distinction and definition. He brings separation. God forms in Genesis chapter one. He creates appropriate homes and habitats for that which he's going to create in days four to six. And God fills. His intention is that the oceans teem, that the sky dazzles with light and with birds flying through the air, and that the dry land be filled with animals and human beings multiplying over and over again, fulfilling the command of God. He separates, he forms, and he fills. Makes me think of um, the church. God separates a people in the church, doesn't he? He chooses a people to be holy and sets them apart and says, says, this is my people. We are God's people set apart by him, separated in a sense from the world. He forms the church, bringing structure and instruction and organisation. And then God fills the church day by day, calling new people to come and be part of the church. And when Christ returns, that will be the day that the church is filled. That's the time when God says the full number has come in. Now it is time because God has formed his church, but he will also fill his church. 
So Genesis 1 reveals God to be a God of order, of distinction, of separation, and also a God of abundance. It's not, he's not just separating and forming, but he's filling that which he has created. Fourthly, in Genesis chapter 1, God calls or gives names to things. In verses 5, 8 and 10, God provides a name for something he has created. Names are important to God. He gives names to the day, to the night, to the heavens, to the earth, to the seas. Why does God give things names? Well, because he wants to communicate with us. He's a God who wants to speak to us. He, he, he doesn't, there's no point giving things names unless you intend to communicate to something about what you're giving names to. And so God gives names so that he might communicate himself and communicate his creation to you and me. Names are also linked to loving care and ownership. A parent names their child and that's a special moment, a long discussion which happens over many months. And when you name someone, it's a precious moment. This child is my responsibility. I'm giving them a name because they are important to me and I want to raise them. It's a, it's a, it's a name about preciousness and care and kindness. And it's the same with God. God names things because he is over it all. He has ownership and loving care. But in Genesis 1, God stops naming things and days one to three God gives names days four to six he doesn't call anything anything why because God delegates his loving care and ownership to humanity and in chapter two God says to Adam you give names to the animals so in the first three days God is naming and owning and then he says I'm creating humans that they would care and they are given the responsibility to name that which is created. We'll read about that next week. Fifthly, in Genesis chapter 1, God blesses. He creates, he makes, he speaks, he forms and fills and separates. He names things and he blesses. God doesn't just create the universe and then run away and disappear and have nothing to do with it at all. He grants favour to that which he has made. He blesses the animals in verse 22. You animals, I bless you. Go and be fruitful and multiply. And in verse 28, he blesses humanity in order that we too be fruitful and multiply. And in some way, one of the big themes of Genesis chapter 1 is that God blesses that which he has made and blesses humanity in particular. Everything which he creates has a purpose to provide for us. He gives us light so that we can see. He gives us land so that we can walk on it. He gives us sky and sea, which creates a weather system in order that we might grow food. So God, throughout Genesis 1, is providing for humans who are going to come on day 6. This chapter shows God to be a generous God who doesn't just create or, or separate or form. It shows a God who loves to bless that which he's created. And I tell you, God wants to bless you. He wants to pour favour into your life because that's who he is as revealed in Genesis chapter 1. Do you know, I'm so glad that this isn't a science textbook, which just gives me formula and chemistry and biology and physics. Firstly, because I wouldn't understand it. But secondly, because it would say nothing about how God loves to bless and show kindness to us, his people. That's what Genesis 1 is really about. It's about the character of God and his goodness to bless the things that he has created. Oh, I love our God. 
Oh, how I love the Lord who creates by the power of his word and uses his word to bless his creation, bringing favour upon mankind. Let's keep worshipping. God gives purpose to that which he has created. Look at how God gives purpose to the animals. He says, be fruitful and multiply, cruel and creep. He's giving purpose to the animals. He gives purpose to humans. Here's your purpose. Have dominion over the earth. And we'll talk about what that means a little bit next week. Be fruitful and multiply. Here's my blessing, said God. But look in particular at verse 14. God creates the sun, the moon and the stars. And he says to them, here's your purpose, sun, moon and stars. You be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. I have a purpose for you that people might know whether it's day or night, that people might know what day of the year it is, that people might know whether it's midday or evening or morning. That's your purpose. God gives purpose. You'll notice that he says, you will be signs. And if you read the Bible, you will see how God uses the stars as signs throughout his story. So when he chooses Abraham, who is the father of the Jewish nation, the Israelite nation, he says to Abraham, look up, it's nighttime, look up in the sky. And Abraham looks up and he sees thousands of stars. There's no light pollution where he is. So he sees thousands and thousands of stars. And God says, so shall your offspring be. The stars are a sign to Abraham of the generosity of God in growing the Israelite nation. But I hope some of you are there already. There is another moment in history where God uses a star as a sign. The Christmas story where a star shines and the Magi, who aren't even Jewish, who don't have the Jewish scriptures or at least probably doesn't have all of them, they see a star in the sky and they go, the Messiah has been born just by looking at a star that's acting as a sign and God planned it out in Genesis 1. He said, I'm giving you the stars as signs and here's a star as a sign and the Magi work it out and they travel to go and worship the baby Jesus who has been born on earth, the Messiah, the Saviour, the King of all the world has come. And the Magi see the sign in the sky. In the sky, Isn't that amazing? The Israelites don't see the sign. They don't work it out. And Herod, of course, is jealous and seeks to kill Jesus. He fails. But the Magi come and read the sign that God had written in the stars for him. Genesis 1 verse 14 wasn't just a random purpose given by God. It was a Christ-centred purpose promise that he would one day fulfill on that Christmas year or day or however long that star shone in the sky. One final verb for us to consider in Genesis chapter 1 is this, God sees, God sees. Repeated multiple times each day, God at the end of the day sees what he has made. And some of you desperately need to know this by the way, God sees you. God sees what he has made. Again, he's not a God who creates and then disappears and has no interest in what he has made, but he's a God who sees what he has made. And the Bible is full of stories of people feeling like God isn't looking upon them or feeling like God hasn't noticed them or isn't hearing them when they pray. They go through a trial or a difficulty or a challenge and say, God can't possibly be seeing this. And then God moves in their life, miraculously, blesses them, brings them what they need. And they go, 
God is the God who sees. He's been seeing me all along. And so maybe you're in the middle of something right now and you're going, God doesn't see me. It doesn't feel like God. I promise you God sees what you're going through. He, he sees you even better than you see yourself. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows all the thoughts of your heart. He knows everything that you do. He sees you. He really, really does. But in Genesis chapter 1, God sees. And what does God see? He sees that everything he has made is good. In fact, on day 6, after he has created humanity, he looks upon his creation And he sees that it is very good. There is no evil in Genesis chapter 1. Everything is good. Now that raises an important philosophical question, doesn't it? I can feel the quizzical faces in the room. How come there's so much evil in the world now? How, much, how come the world isn't perfect now? How come the world isn't good? We heard it in some of the prayers this morning already as we thank God for being faithful, but through the difficult and dark times in the world in which we live. Well, the answer to that question will have to wait for two weeks when we do Genesis chapter 3. Why is there evil in the world? But we must, we must understand the point in Genesis chapter 1. It's really, really important. In Genesis 1, only God acts. That's why we've looked at all the verbs of God, because he's the one doing stuff. He's the only one doing stuff in Genesis chapter 1. And when only God acts and all of creation obeys what God has said, what is the result? What is the consequence of that creation? It is good. Everything is perfectly and utterly good. It's very good. And that's because God creates out of who he is. Our God is good. He is righteous. He is blemishless. He's without evil. He is love. In him there is no darkness at all, only light. And so when God creates the world, he creates out of who he is. And so his love and his goodness and his perfection flows out in Genesis chapter 1 into everything that he creates. In Genesis 1, we see that God is perfectly good. Now, I began this sermon by saying that that God is Lord, that he's infinitely powerful, that he has all authority, he can do what he likes because he's God. That might not necessarily be good news. If If God is Lord and he can do whatever he wants, then there's there's. In, in a non-biblical world, in not a Christian world, there's a possibility that would be bad news because if God is horrible and awful and he can do what he wants, then it's terrible news to hear that God is Lord. But God is good. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what we see in the person of Jesus Christ who shows his love coming to earth, dying on the cross for the sins of the world so that whoever believes in him might receive forgiveness and eternal life. That's the goodness of God. That's the love of God shown to all the world. And here in Genesis 1, we see his goodness. He blesses humanity. He blesses the animals. He's seeking to do good to that which he has created. So we see the goodness of God. And those two things together is really, really good news. God is Lord of heaven and earth and he is good. He sees us and he loves us and he is good. A whole creation in Genesis 1 revolving around showing his goodness to the universe which he has created and that special place for humanity within his creation on day 6. 
we'll read next week, even on day seven, he rests, not because he's tired, but as an example to humanity that rest is required. So even that he does out of his goodness to humanity, which he has created. I want to bring a challenge to you. Look for the goodness of God in creation. Make it part of your worship. Make it part of your praise. Now, I know that Genesis 3 happens and the fall happens and that the goodness of God's creation is in some way tarnished. And, and I'll explain that and we'll think about that biblically in a few weeks. But that doesn't mean that all of God's goodness has been completely ruined by the fall. There is still much of God's goodness to be seen. And... Do you know what? I feel like our lives are often surrounded by bad news. You know, you watch the news, it's all negative, isn't it? All the bad news stuff. You scroll through social media and you see some people like telling you how amazing their life and that feels like bad news because you're like, oh, my life doesn't compare to that. But you also receive all the negative things and insults and all, all kinds of things are filling our heads with the bad in the world. And there is sin in the world. And we do need a saviour in Jesus. But Genesis 1 teaches us that God in creation was good. And I tell you, if you go for a walk this afternoon and look outside, you will see something of the beauty and the love and the goodness of God. Don't miss it. Don't miss it because that's an opportunity to worship and praise our awesome, awesome God. You see, in Genesis 1, we see a God of supreme, unrivaled, awe-inspiring, transcendent power. But we also see a God of goodness. And love. We see a God who speaks the universe into creation and he creates like no human ever can. We see that he is entirely other, superior to us in every single way, that he is Lord, that nothing is impossible for, for him. He deserves all our praise and all our glory because of his awesome power. But we also see that he's a God of goodness, of kindness, of blessing, of care, giving purpose and provision to that which he creates. When only he acts, he creates a world which is very, very good. And so I want to finish by praying and inviting us to respond. I want, you to, I want you to put yourself in one or two categories this morning. You can't have both. You can have both. But I want you to say either I need a wake-up call and a reminder about the power of God. I've been living like God is a little bit powerful, but not supremely powerful, the Lord of heaven and earth. I've been living like God's word is sort of important rather than the words of power through whom the whole universe came into being. I've been living like God is like a nice advisor in life rather than the Lord and the master of it all. I've been living a timid, shy Christian life rather than a bold Christian life and then start living like my father in heaven created it all. Maybe you're in that. You need a reminder this morning about the awesome power of God from Genesis chapter 1. Or maybe you need to know and remember God's goodness this morning. You've been living like God is cold and distant rather than close and caring. You've been living like there's only evil in the world and everything's miserable and bleak and horrible rather than seeing God's goodness to you. He has blessed you in so many ways. You've lost hope and joy in this life because you've lost sight of how good God is. So I want you, just for a moment of quiet, just put yourself in one of those two categories. Do you need a reminder of God's awesome power or of his perfect goodness? In a moment, I'm going to pray for us and invite us just to raise our hands and say, I'm responding to that particular message.
If you want to respond this morning and say, I need reminding of God's awesome power, would you just raise your hand by yourself? Say, yeah, that's the reminder I desperately need this morning. To live in the power of God. Well, let me pray for you. Thank you for response. Heavenly Father, in Genesis 1, you are awesome. You are so awesome. You create, you speak, and things come into being. You are Lord of heaven and earth. Creation obeys your every single word. Thank you for your awesome, transcendent power in this chapter. Lord, just teach us how powerful and glorious you are, Lord. I pray you wouldn't be shy and timid, but we'd live in boldness because you say in the Bible that you are our Father in heaven and you love us and therefore your power is used for good. And so I pray you you teach us to know how powerful and awesome you are, Lord God. Teach it to our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just as the Spirit hovered over the waters at the beginning of Genesis, I pray your Holy Spirit would hover and move in this room now, Lord God, mightily granting us faith to believe in your Awesome, awesome power. If you want to respond to the goodness of God, why don't you raise your hand and say, that's what I'm, I need a reminder of God's care and provision and, and everything that he does. Why don't you just raise your hand and respond to that? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're not just completely powerful, supreme in all things, but you're also good. When only you acted in Genesis chapter 1, everything was good. Everything was good. And Lord, I pray you would take that and really plant it deep inside our hearts that you are good in all your ways, blameless in all you do, perfect in all your wisdom and understanding and all your deeds. I pray we would know you're not a distant God or or a miserable God or a horrible God, but you're the generous, life-giving God of Genesis chapter 1. May we know your goodness more and more in our lives. Open up our hearts to see your goodness in creation, but also in our lives. And we thank you for the ultimate display of your goodness in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We we rebelled against you in Genesis chapter 3. We sinned against you, but you sent your son to rescue us. You loved us while we were still sinners. And so I pray through creation and through the gospel, you would teach us just how good and perfect you are. Lord, may we never doubt your goodness, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.